today we're going to be looking uh, actually a lot of scripture today. So if you've got your Bibles, you're going to have to be kind of, um, you're going to have to work with me uh, through some of this as we're just kind of going to look over a lot of stuff. We're going to start out in Luke chapter 13 and move into a lot of different areas. We're going to, you know, visit several things here in the Gospels and then uh, and we're going to go back into Deuteronomy and look at some stuff that's written there. Um, I haven't really, you know, had the opportunity to do this in a while. It's something I feel like that God's kind of leading me to do, and and so we're going to take a look at this, and um, and and really, I guess what we're going to be talking about today, and it's not just doesn't just have to do with this, but also has to do with other aspects of our life. But really, if if you kind of need to write something down to kind of title something or whatever would say it's maybe God's view, or how God views sickness, how God views sickness, and looking at uh, sickness and, and what the scripture has to say about it, and, and some of these things, and I want to kind of talk about this, uh, you know, my wife and I had the opportunity this past weekend, uh, which doesn't come very often just because of, you know, the, um, how busy our schedule is and, the, and all the kids and stuff like that. But we had the opportunity to, to go on a date this past Friday. And so we, we had the opportunity to go see that movie, um, uh, the, uh, the Shack, right? The Shack, you know? Anybody seen it yet? So we're the only ones. All right. Anybody read the book? Two, three, all right, four. All right. Um, yeah, you know what I would say? And, of course, this is not, you know, movie, movie reviews on Sunday morning. Um, you know, but, um, you know, I thought that it did a really good job. What? Oh, I'm not, I'm not. Uh, she's telling me not to be a spoiler. I, look, man, I'm not a spoiler. Now, my son, if you go watch a movie with my son, Peyton, and he's seen the movie, he's going to just tell you, okay? So you just don't want to do that. He, uh, but it was, I thought the movie did a really good job addressing some things. I never read the book. I didn't really know what the book is about other than what people had told me it was about which probably they didn't do a really good job of preparing me for what the movie was about, which was fine. Uh, but it did a really good job addressing certain specific things as it relates, and even some of the things that relate to kind of um, things that go along with this particular subject. We're not going to get into covering some of those things today. We've done that before in the past, and again, it's something that we'll talk about again in the future. But we're going to be looking at this. How does God view, what is God's view on sickness? How does he, he view sickness? And what does the Bible have to say about this? And so in Luke chapter 13, we're going to start reading here. Luke chapter 13, starting in verse 10, all right, here's, here's a story, something that happened to Jesus. And it says, and he, Jesus, was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and there was a woman who for 18 years had, been, had had a sickness Caused by spirit, and uh, and she was bent double and could not straighten up at all. And when Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, "Woman, you are freed from your sickness." And he laid hands on her, and immediately she was made erect, and again began glorifying God, because the synagogue official, indignant, but the synagogue official, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath began saying to the crowd in response, there are six days in which work should be done. Some came, uh, some come during them and get healed, and not on, but not on the Sabbath day. 
But the Lord answered him and said, You hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the stall and lead him away to water? And this woman, a daughter of Abraham, as she is, whom Satan has bound for 18 long years, should she not have been released from this bond on the Sabbath day? As he said this, all his opponents were being humiliated, and the entire crowd was rejoicing over all the glorious things being done by Jesus. All right. So Jesus here is talking about this woman. He's looking at this woman, and he heals this woman of this sickness. And he has this this debate with the Pharisees here because of their hypocrisy and everything. And so he heals this woman. This woman gets healed, and the people begin to rejoice. Uh, Anybody who is of the opinion that sickness brings glory to God needs to recognize that this woman did not give glory to God until she was healed of her sickness. Sometimes you will have people who will actually say something to the effect that that God, uh, you know, uses sickness to bring glory to his name or something to the effect like this, all right? But when we look at this particular scripture, we see no glory being given to God until this woman has been healed of the sickness that she has. As a matter of fact, the Bible never mentions anything about her giving glory to God in her sickness. But Jesus' words, Jesus uses the word here. Um, he uses this word bond, this bondage. This is the word where we get that word, like I was saying, this word bondage. And is there ever a point in Scripture where the word bondage is used to describe anything in the kingdom of God? The Bible says right here that she was bound, okay, that this woman was bound with this sickness. It's this idea of being bound with chains or in bondage. Is there any point in any place in the Bible where the Bible ever says that anybody that is a part of the kingdom of God, anybody that is a part of the will of God, or anybody that is in heaven is bound, or anybody that is in bondage. Of course we don't see these kinds of things. We don't see the Bible say that. Bondage is something that sickness brings with it. It brings bondage. It puts us in a place where we are bound by this disease and this sickness that seems to kind of plague our life. In Matthew chapter 15, verse 21, we read another story. Jesus here, it says that Jesus went away from there and withdrew into the, uh, to the district of Tyre and, uh, and Sidon. And a Canaanite woman from that region came out and began to cry out, saying, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and implored him, saying, Send her away, because she keeps shouting at us. But he answered and said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of, Is- of the house of Israel. But she came and began to bow down before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she said, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs feed on the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And then Jesus said to her, O woman, your faith is great. It shall be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed at once. There's two words here that's talking about here. These um, that's it's um, actually we find it, these two particular words are used in the King James Version. I just read to you from the New American Standard Version. But these words here come from this idea of they were cruelly, or this, the New American Version was cruelly. The King James Version says it's grievously. 
all right? And it would say that she was grievously vexed, okay? Are these, are, are the words grievously vexed words that you ever hear being associated with God? Does God ever make you grievously vexed? Or are these words, um, now Jesus here never said here that he wasn't going to heal her, okay? And he never said it wasn't his will to heal her. All he said to her, which by the way is true, is that he was stating the particular mission that he was on. When she was asking for healing, and she was asking for him to heal his daughter, he never stated that he didn't want to heal her. He never stated that it wasn't his will to heal her. The only thing that he stated was that he stated what his particular mission was. In other words, I came for the lost sheep of Israel, that it's not good for me to throw the bread to, you know, to the dogs who's meant for the children. All right, so, of course, those, those statements can be extremely offensive, all right, um, things that Jesus says. Many people, I think, would be offended in that position and just kind of walk away. She didn't allow those words to offend her. She didn't allow those words to deter her from what it was that she was asking of God. And she was able to push through. And because of that, she received her answer to prayer. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 5, we see another story here. And when Jesus entered Capernaum, a century and came to him, imploring him, saying, Lord, my servant is laying paralyzed at home, fearfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. And here are those words again. Listen, fearfully tormented or grievously tormented. Another translation uses the words grievously tormented. There's nowhere in this particular passage do we find Jesus saying, well, well hold on, centurion. God is using this sickness to teach him something. God is using this sickness to teach him a lesson, or God is in part a part of this particular sickness he, he is receiving. But we hear the same description happen again. The centurion goes to Jesus. My servant is fearfully tormented. And again, those are not words that we find in Scripture to describe the work or the hand of God. We'll find the hand of God saying where it makes people fearfully tormented. These New Testament, we see this right here all throughout the New Testament. And there's not anywhere, any place in Scripture where we see that sickness is described as a teaching tool used for discipline or any other thing used to help further the kingdom of God. Because there are people out there that will tell you that. They will tell you that God uses sickness to teach you something. Or maybe God uses sickness to discipline his children. Just like any father would discipline their children when they do something wrong, God may use sickness to discipline their children. Well, yes, it is true that I will discipline my children when they don't do what they're supposed to do. But I'm not going to give them cancer to discipline them. Right? Who, what good father would give his child cancer to discipline him? Huh? That's, that's not the kind of discipline that the Bible is talking about. It's not when the Bible says and talks about the father bringing discipline, it's not the kind of discipline that he talks about. As a matter of fact, in Acts chapter 8, sorry, Acts chapter 10, verse 38, it says this, um, 
Paul, or one of the, I'm sorry, one of the disciples was, was writing, and he quotes this. He says, you know Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Okay? Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. These new, the, these, these new Testament passages okay, agree with Old Testament Scripture as it relates to people coming in and, into a covenant agreement with God. All right, a covenant agreement with God. We see here the, this, this idea that Jesus went around and he did good. Everything that he did was good. And he healed all, all of the people that he came in contact with. Every person it says that he healed all of those who were oppressed by the devil. Not just some of them, not just part of them. He said he healed all of them. This is what Jesus did. And so if you look at these New Testament passages, we look at the three stories here, which is only three, by the way, because there's many, many, many more. And you look here at the story of Jesus and how the disciples talked about Jesus and their testimony about what Jesus did when he was there on the earth. They just kind of summed it up and said, man, he went around doing good at healing all. As if you were to take all of these stories and you were to kind of bring them together and then you kind of compare them to Old Testament Scripture, you see that, 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 um, that there's a little bit of a difference. And I want to talk about some of that difference here today. You see, what we find in Old Testament Scripture is this idea that God comes into a covenant relationship with his people. The children of Israel, not, did, Israel did not see themselves as God's sons and daughters because they had no concept of what it meant to be born again. We have this idea that we are God's sons and we are his daughters, that we are co-heirs with Christ, we are his children. Back in Old Testament scripture, they had no idea of this particular concept, this idea of sons and daughters, because they didn't have the concept or the idea of what it meant to be born again. And so they didn't see themselves um, uh, like that way, but what, how they did see themselves was at the highest possible way at the time, which was children of Abraham. So they weren't children of God, they saw themselves as children to Abraham. And we see this reflected many times throughout the scripture, even in relation as the Pharisees are talking to Jesus or the disciples or any of this, they talk about being children of Abraham. And at that particular time, that was the highest place that they could be, was children of Abraham. And being children of Abraham means that they were in a covenant relationship with God. And so I'm going to read in Deuteronomy chapter 28 something here that we see that happens. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 1 and 2, and it says this. Now, it shall be that if you diligently obey the Lord your God, be careful to do all his commands, which I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. All these blessings will come upon you and overtake you if you obey the Lord your God. And it goes on from there. In verses 1 through 14, we find all the blessings that come to the children of Abraham when they obey God. All the blessings. All the blessings 
come upon us. And he goes in, he lists 12 more verses. He goes into all of these blessings that will happen to you when you diligently obey the Lord your God. And then what happens is, is after verse 14, it changes. And from verse 15 all the way through verse 68, we find what is called the curse of the law. All right. This is where what's called the curse of the law is introduced to the people. And there are 54 verses here that are negative in nature. In other words, if you do not follow, if you do not diligently obey, if you do not do what I have asked you to do, then all of these things are going to happen to you. And so what I'm going to do is I've picked out a couple of those, and I want to show you what comes along with the curse of the law. Verse 15 says, but it shall come about that if you do not obey the Lord your God to observe, all to, do, to, to observe to do all his commandments and his statutes with which I charge you today, that these curses will come upon you and overtake you. And in verse 22, uh, 21 and 22, it says, the Lord will make the pestilence cling to you until it has consumed you from the land where you were entering to possess it. The Lord will smite you with consumption and with fever and with inflammation and with fiery heat and with the sword and with blight and with mildew, and they will pursue you until you perish. And verse 27 and 28 says, The Lord will smite you with boils of Egypt, with the tumors and with the scab and with the itch. Uh, from which you cannot be healed, and the Lord will smite you with madness and with blindness and, and with bewilderment of heart. Verse 35, it says, The Lord will, will strike you on the knees and the legs uh, with sore boils, uh, sore boils, from which you cannot be healed, from the sole to your feet, uh, of your feet to the crown of your head. And in verse 59 through 61, it says, Then the Lord will bring extraordinary plagues on you and your descendants, even severe and lasting plagues, and miserable and chronic sickness. He will bring back on you all the diseases of Egypt for which you were afraid, and they will cling to you. Also, every sickness and every plague which not written in this book, uh, not written in the book of this law, the Lord will bring upon you until you are destroyed. <laughs> Yay. That's bad, right? Just those, uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, just those eight, eight verses alone, okay, are enough to say, you know what, I'm going to somehow find a way to fall in the first 14 verses, not the last 54. Those are bad. I, I pointed out all of those in particular because they in particular have to do with sickness, that all of these sicknesses, all of these plagues, boils, itch, fever, all of these things, God says these things will come upon you when you don't obey the Lord your God and do everything that he's told you to do. And if we skip ahead into, into the book of Isaiah, we see Isaiah writes something about this. All right, I want you to hear this. In Isaiah chapter 54, verses 14 through 18, it says, In righteousness you will be established, for you will be far from oppression, for you will not fear, and from terror, for it will not come near you. If anyone fiercely assails you, it will not be from me. Whoever assails you will fall because of you. Behold, I myself have created the smith in the blow, the fire of coals, and bring out a weapon for its work. And I have created the destroyer to ruin no weapon that is formed against you will prosper, and every tongue that accurses 
you in judgment will, you will condemn. This is the heritage of the servant of the Lord, and their vindication is from me, declares the Lord. All right. A couple of things I want to point out here today as we're reading a couple of these passages, especially in the Old Testament. Does it bother you when you read back in Deuteronomy, when I read to you those passages in Deuteronomy? Listen to the beginning of those verses again where it says, The Lord will make the pestilence clean to you. The Lord will smite you with boils of Egypt. The Lord will strike you. The Lord will bring extraordinary plagues upon you. Does it bother you when it says the Lord will do these things to you? But I thought God was good. I thought God was good. Why does the Bible say that the Lord will do these things if also the Bible says God is good? Maybe this is where we get the idea sometimes that sickness is from God. That sickness that God uses sickness or God brings sickness. But here's the thing that you have to understand of what's going on here because actually it's in actually con contradiction from what Isaiah says that I just got done reading you. You remember the verses here? Um, it says in verse 16, he says, Behold, I myself have created the smith who blows in the fire of the coals and bring out a weapon for its work, and I have created the destroyer to ruin no weapon that is formed against you or prosper in every tongue that accurses you in judgment will be condemned. What's happening here and what's happening back in, in Deuteronomy and what's happening in the scripture here is you see people in the Old Testament in particular way back towards the beginning, they were extremely superstitious people. They didn't have what we have today. And even though we have science today, even though we have all of these kinds of things at our, at our you know, disposal today, we can be extremely superstitious sometimes too, right? I, I'll share one with you that's a little bit weird, all right? Uh, like baseball players, if they win the night before and they're going to play the next day, they don't want to change their underwear because they feel like that that's going to be something that's going to get in the way of, you know, hey, I won, I'm not going to change anything. And, and they, these guys will actually, they won't change a thing. Like if I'm winning, I'm not going to change anything. But as soon as we lose, I'm changing everything. That's a form of superstitious. You know, I'm just, I just, it's like weird, all right? All right, so we're, 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 I'm in Haiti, all right? And somebody's preaching in Haiti, and I want to sit down. And uh, let me grab this right here as fast as I can. All right. I'm sitting up on the front row, and um, I'm listening to somebody preach. I, I think it's Pastor Ted. And I'm just kind of sitting here, mind them all. I'm just, you know, paying attention and, and listening to what's happening. And there's a couple people over here to my left and some people over here to my right. And while I'm sitting there, I just kind of kick my leg up like this right here, just kind of sitting back and just kind of thinking about the fact that I'm about to preach and I'm paying attention to what's going on here. This dude is sitting next to me right here. He reaches over. He taps me on the leg. He, like, taps me on the leg. And I look at him, and he goes, tells me to put my leg down. And I'm like, okay, right? Uh, I mean, I, I, I guess I kind of crossed some line that I wasn't supposed to cross. 
Haiti. I must have offended some people because I didn't know it was okay. I'm thinking, so I'm like looking around trying to see what's going on. And one of the, one of the other pastors that there is the church, you know, he's kind of sitting where he's got his legs like this. I'm thinking, well, maybe it's okay to sit like that, but you can't sit like this, right? Well, come to find out, you know, after the service, I am, you know, talking, and uh, they find out that this is a guy that's been going to the church for some time, and it's like his mission to go tell everybody that if you cross your legs in church, it's disrespecting God. And they've actually tried to run this dude out of the church, and he just won't leave. Because they're like, dude, man, we don't believe that. But he, he's been taught that in the Catholic church there in Haiti, that if you cross your legs like this, that you're disrespecting God. This is some superstitious super idea. Can you imagine? Can you imagine going to church or something? Hey, Crystal, you're disrespecting the Lord. Right? Hey, you are too. You just disrespectful people. You didn't know you came to church disrespecting the Lord. All right? But it's, it's, I mean, where do we get that from? Where does that come from? That's not in the Bible. Where does anywhere in the Bible say anything about, you know, crossing your legs? No, no. They make up these ideas and these things. It, it, it's, you know, and so even though we live in a world today where we have a lot of answers because of science and stuff like that, back then they didn't have any of that. They didn't. So it was really easy for them to become extremely superstitious about things trying to figure out how the world works and how it turns and what's going on around you. And during that time, people worshipped two different kinds of gods. There were the good gods and there were the bad gods. And so what happens is, is the way that they dealt with the bad guys, gods is that they would try to buy them off. And what they would do in doing this is they would make sacrifices to the bad gods to try to appease their anger. You know, they would make sacrifices to them saying, just don't be angry to us anymore. Don't do any more bad stuff to us. And they, this is how that they approached worshiping bad gods. And so what, what's happening here is that the, the way they dealt with these bad gods is by trying to buy them, out, buy them off. And it really was the devil that they were dealing with the whole time. And so what's happening here is God didn't want to bring any more attention to the devil than he had to, particularly in the Old Testament. He didn't want to call the devil out and say, the devil is the one doing all these bad things to you, because then what would happen to all these superstitious people? They would start making sacrifices to the devil, right? They would start because he's one of the bad gods. So in an effort to try to keep them from, from making these things and doing this, when it, when it, when it comes to the, this evil stuff, when you read the Old Testament, you can kind of get a sense of this idea that God is the one doing this. Even in the scripture where it talks about when the, 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 the plagues from Egypt came, that God sent the death angel down to kill all the firstborn. And you get this idea when you read the Old Testament scripture that, man, God's doing some really, really bad stuff. But what God is doing here is he's trying to keep the attention of the people so that they don't follow the superstition and the traditions of the people who offer sacrifices to the bad gods. And what he's telling the people in these moments is like, look, guys, listen, everybody needs to deal with me. I'm the one that you need to deal with. I'm the one that you need to be focused on. Not all these other things. So in Isaiah, God is saying that he has created the waster, that, it is, that he 
will be the one responsible for them. That he will take all the blame for all the bad stuff just so the people will make sure that their attention and their focus is on God and not on other gods. So that they worship Jehovah God in one moment and then they go worship the devil God at the other. I actually found it in, in Haiti, this was actually something that happened down there. They, they said that um, I was talking to, I, I think Frederick, I was talking to him about this. And he said that uh, he said the people there are just so superstitious. He said that, that they will pray and ask God to do something for them. And if God doesn't do them right away, they, they'll go somewhere else to find the answer. And then some of them have said, well, the devil or this spirit answers me faster than God does. So I want to worship this spirit. And so what God is saying is we find here in, in the Bible, in Isaiah, listen, we, we find now that, that God is recognizing this other influence, that he has created the, the destroyer to ruin. But what he's saying right here in the book of Isaiah, what we read here, is that he's saying, you don't need to worry about him, I'll take care of him. He said, I'll take care of him. No weapons formed against you will prosper, and every tongue that occurs to you in judgment will condemn the heritage of the service. Okay? And he says, that, and their vindication is from me. I will take care of this, this, this destroyer that's out there. I will take care of the one that's out there that's bringing disease and pestilence and all these kinds of things. He's saying, leave it to me. You don't need to worry about him. You don't need to make those sacrifices to the bad guys to appease them and to buy them off. You don't need to do any of those things. It will come from me. Okay? So God is saying that will, uh, that <clears throat> what we see here is this idea that, you know, God allows these things to happen, but he is not the one who does them. All right? And so we get into the New Testament scripture, and we see a whole different approach. It's like night and day. When you see Jesus talking about sickness, okay, compared to how the Old Testament talks about sickness, it's almost a night and day difference in the way that it approaches these particular things. All right, you see the difference in the Old Testament. There's no mention of the devil at all. As a matter of fact, you look in, and you, there are some, like in Job, it talks about how Lucifer came and stood before the Lord and all this kind of stuff. But all throughout the scripture, in, if, in, in comparison to, say, the first five books you know, of the New Testament, the devil is hardly ever mentioned in the Old Testament. In comparison, then you pull out the Gospels, man, and the devil and demons are running all over the place. It's like they all just broke out of jail. Just going crazy. And the reason why this is, the reason why there's such a change is because we're able to do something that was never able to be done before. That we are, we are able to be born again and we are able to have authority over the devil. So Jesus came and he gave us authority over all the works of the enemy. Okay? He gave us authority. In the Old Testament, God recognizes his influence, but he says, you don't need to worry about them. 
I will take care of them. Don't worry about sacrificing. Don't worry about trying to appease the bad gods. Don't worry about trying to do this. I will take care of that influence in your life. And then all of a sudden, something changes in the New Testament. And we see now that they begin to talk more about it. All right. And so that's because we're able, now we can deal with the devil without fear. And we don't have to offer anything to him to try to appease him. Because we are seated with Christ above his dominion and power. And in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, it says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So what is it that Christ redeemed us from? The curse of the law. What was the curse of the law? All that bad stuff, all those 54 verses in Deuteronomy, okay, and the nine that I got done reading to you, talking about all of the sickness and disease that was going to come upon you if you didn't do what God told you to do. And so now we find in Scripture here in Galatians where it says that Jesus has freed us from the curse of the law. This is not freedom from the curse of sin because we can't get away from the curse of sin. Curse of sin is found in the garden. You're going to have to work with your hands. You're going to plow. There's going to be pain in childbirth, all that kind of stuff. We're not getting away from that. Even though you get born again, I mean, ladies, you know, there's, there's pain in childbirth. No matter if you love Jesus or not. Okay? You're not getting away from the curse of sin. But you can get away from the curse of the law because the Bible says that God has redeemed us from the curse of the law. All of that bad stuff written in Deuteronomy that talks about all the bad things that happen to people Okay, when they don't obey God, God says that Christ redeemed you from that curse by becoming a curse. The curse of the law was written in Deuteronomy chapter 15 through 68. And all the curse of the law was done away with Christ. And in order for this to happen, Christ had to be make a curse for you and me. In Deuteronomy chapter 21, verses 22 through 23, it says, If a man has committed a sin worthy of death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his corpse shall not, bring, shall not hang all night on the tree, but you shall surely bury him on the same day. For he who is hanged is accursed of God, so that you do not defile your land, which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance. If anyone dies on a tree, then that person is cursed by God. That's what the scripture says in Deuteronomy, which is kind of interesting here, that in Deuteronomy, it's talking about people being hung on a tree before they actually hanged people on a tree. Before they ever crucified people on a tree, Deuteronomy's talking about how a curse comes upon you if you get hung on a tree. You see, most people in, that, in, in the days of Deuteronomy and Deuteronomy, most people that were put to death in that day, they were just stoned. They were stoned to death. They didn't put them, they didn't put them by hanging them on trees. They just stoned them. And here, but anyone who knew Old Testament law would know that Jesus being hung on a cross was a sign of being cursed of God. And in this process, he was taking all the stuff that follows the curse with him. In Isaiah 53, verse 1, it says, Who has believed our message, and to whom... Has the arm of the Lord been re re revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of a parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty that, that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised, and we did not esteem him. 
Surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried, yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions, and he was crushed for our iniquities, and the chastising for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. The word grief here in the original Hebrew language comes from the word choli, and it means disease and sickness. So here it says right here, surely our diseases and sicknesses he himself bore. The word sorrows comes from a Hebrew word makab, which means pains, all right? Our, our pains he carried away. All the things that bring pain, he carried them away. And you see in the Garden of Gethsemane, the weight of all the sin and sickness fell upon him at once. And there was that one last time where the angels came and ministered to him, but then after that, um, it was, he was all by himself. And first it was an inward weight of the sin of all the world of mankind came upon him. And then it was the outward pain, the sickness, the disease, the pain and suffering that we have to deal with. All of these things came upon him. And in Gethsemane, death uh, stepped in. And he sensed the horribleness of it all. He sensed the reality of all of us that we have to live in, and especially all the people that have to live in and under the curse of the law. In that moment, in that place, it's no wonder that when he was sweating, the Bible says that he sweat drops of blood because it was the first moment in his life where he had finally realized or got to experience some of the things that we had to have, have to experience in our life, this pain and suffering and sickness and disease all came upon him. And the worst day of your life doesn't even come close to comparing to what he had to deal with in that moment. The worst day of your life couldn't even compare to what Jesus had to deal with in that moment. And he did all of that. He took all of those things to redeem us from the curse of the law, from the curse of the law. Bob, if you'll come. He did all of that to redeem you from the curse of the law. Maybe you should go back and read the curse of the law. Because maybe there's some things that you're allowing in your life that are a part of the curse of the law that the Bible says God has redeemed you from. How many of you know that sometimes you can have something and not really have it? You know what I'm saying? I've heard stories, countless stories before over and over and over again of people who... Uh, received an inheritance from somebody in their family that died that gave them some, something. But the incredible part about it is that this person died like 20 years ago and they're just now finding out that what belonged to them is theirs. You ever heard those stories before? Somebody 10 years after somebody dies like, oh my gosh, I got all this money. Well, it wasn't theirs when they found it. It was theirs when the person died. It was their will. It was in their will. It's just that now, even though it was there 10 years without ever having it, 
sometimes you can have something and not ever have it because you don't know it's yours. You don't know it's yours. What if God has something for you that he wants you to have and you don't have it because you don't know it belongs to you? Jesus became a curse for you. He became a curse. Being hung on a tree, he became a curse for you so that you would no longer be bound by the curse of the law. So that the curse of the law would never have its grip or its power on you. It would no longer have its authority on you. And Jesus went willingly, willingly, he went to the cross and took your pains and he took your sicknesses and he took your diseases. And Isaiah says, by his scourging, you are healed. Because of the scourging that he took, you are healed. Do you understand the tense in which that's being written? It doesn't say that you will be healed. It says that you are healed. You are healed. 